Okay, Sarah, I hear the open, the CrossFit open is over. Tell us how, how did you end up? Were you in the top 100 women in Canada who are 40? (laughs) (laughs) Kelly. Okay. After, well, I feel like I shot myself in the foot, first of all, with the disaster that was last week of not recording my score. Yes. A zero score is uh, not good. A zero score out of, out of five is like, (laughs) it's, it's sort of hurt. It sort of hurt my placing. So I have no idea what I otherwise would have done, but I top 100 was not happening um, regardless. But anyway, so like I own, I own my mistake. Good. Good. And this week I did, I, well, I did well for me, which is all you ever can do, I guess. (laughs) In the workout, and I I don't know where I placed, but overall I was 379th woman, 40 to 44 year old woman in Canada. So wow, there you go. You can you can clap later. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, wow, Sarah, that's a thing. <laughs> okay, but I want to tell you a little bit about this week's like workout. Yeah, I saw on the Instagram that you had ugh, more stories from your box. More tales from my box. Okay, like thrusters. Sorry, I couldn't help myself about because every word is like either about it's like they're anyway. I really think, Sarah, if you're making thrusters sexual, this is on you. I don't (laughs) think everything needs to be dirty. In the context of box and BJs and snatches and clean and jerks. It's just, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just like childish sense of humor. I think that's it. Yeah, it is um, you. It's definitely you. Okay. Because <laughs> no one else around me is laughing. So I can own that too. I'm owning it all. <laughs> all right. So you did Okay, so thrusters. it was like a ladder. Yeah, it was a mm-hmm. ladder. It was thrusters and chest to bar. So if you don't know what chest to bar is, you have to, it's like a pull up, but you have to go a little further and you have to hit the bar below your, what is this? Clavicle? Sternum clavicle. Yeah. Sternum clavicle, like below that little bone kind of on the, <laughs> the top of your chest. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, and it was a ladder. So you did like in the first round, you did 33 thrusters, 33 chest to bar, 27, 27, 21, 21. I don't even know how it goes down from there. Like in, in, it goes down by nines or sixes. Yeah, by sixes. usually, generally it goes 21, 15, nine. Like that's the common. Yeah. So that it went 15, nine, six, three. Um, but of course, like I didn't get that far. <laughs> and I didn't, the thrusters were at 65 pounds, which if um, a thruster is like a squat straight up into a press. Yes. Um, fun story about thrusters. I ooh. thrusted a bar into my face one time and bit through my lip. Oh, I can see how that would happen. Yeah, it was really bad. Ouch. I could, oh, you got it. Yeah. You got to pull that chin back. <laughs> So now I have a fear of things near my face, not to make anything sexual. <laughs> you thrusted something into your face. Yes. 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 So, um, okay. So yeah. So at 65 pounds, that was pretty heavy for me. Well, I, I thought it was going to be heavy. So I had to split it up into to smaller sets. So I think I did six or seven in the first set. And then you take a break, like to get up to the 33. Right. Um, and then with chest to bar, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to do them. Like, cause it's not okay. something I practice very often and I certainly can't do it. I can't do it overhand. So I did them underhand, but yeah, it actually, I did way better than I thought I was going to do. So I got through like almost two rounds. Like I got through the round of 33 on both and then the, th- the round of. Th- so of here's my question, Sarah, mm-hmm. now that you have completed the open, mm. what do you feel like you've, you know, what have you learned? Oh, what have I learned? Yes. Okay. I, I enjoyed this way more than I thought I would. Just okay. in terms of like, so every week you deliver this workout, right? And you try to do the best that you can. And like, typically on a Friday, I'd, I'd be doing it for the first time. 
and then like trying to figure out how to be better by and redo it on Monday. That was kind of my pattern. <laughs> and that like, I really liked being, I don't know, like just having a little accountability, even though I, I recognize like nobody cares, like who am I accountable to? Nobody but myself, because no one's really checking my score. And we talk you, about the, the podcast, podcast but, fans like, are waiting anxiously. They don't really care. Like I, I recognize that. So that it was really fun just to be like kind of part of something and then to like line yourself up against everybody else, whether it's like in my age group or in Canada. And yeah, that was fun. And also I'm in, I'm within my first year. So I started last April. So I think too, I still have that kind of beginners thing of like, I still really love it and it's really fun, but also I can see how far I've come really quickly because I'm in a beginning stage. So, you know, progress is quick. So low hanging fruit, right? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. That's what I learned. Okay, good. Okay. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed your open, Sarah. Thank you, Kelly. (laughs) Okay, coming up on the show, we are going to talk about where are the good triathlon books? Should athletes have social media classes, concussions and depression, and getting rid of the sternum rule and other stupid rules in triathlon? If We Were Riding is brought to you by Noon Hydration. And Sarah, I think it sounds like you could use one of Noon's immunity tablets right now. Ooh, tell us more about that, Kelly. (laughs) I'm actually holding them in my hand right now. Orange citrus, which would boost your immunity system um, since you seem to be having the winter cold. But they also have a whole bunch of products. They have sport tablets and vitamins. And my favorite is the performance drink. That's like the powder you put. I just put it in like a water bottle, sip on it while I'm typing on the computer all day. It's basically the same as like a Coke or a beer. (laughs) (laughs) Except it takes care of your hydration needs. Exactly. What's your favorite flavor? Oh, I actually can't tell you what my favorite flavor is because they're about to come out with a whole bunch of new stuff and it's super top secret. So I can't tell you what my favorite flavor is. You're just gonna have to stay tuned. But I can tell you that all of their products have like super high quality ingredients, like good for the earth, very clean and specifically formulated for women. So. Ooh, I love it. Okay. Okay. Top secret information. You're going to hear it soon right here on the If We Were Riding podcast. Awesome. Okay. And folks at home, you can use the code IRONWOMEN and you get 30% off at noonlife.com. So that's IRONWOMEN at noonlife.com. Live Feisties If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker Inc. Ass Kicker makes activewear for women featuring empowering phrases like work hard, play hard, kick ass, or strong women lift each other up. Ask Kicker Inc. also makes our fabulous Live Feisty tank tops, t-shirts, hoodies, and leggings. So to order yours, go to livefeisty.com and just choose shop from the menu. And of course, use the code riding to save 20%. That's riding, as in if we were, at livefeisty.com. And remember, I before E, except if you're feisty. I'm Kelly O'Mara. And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisties If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop. This time, like the last time. You better get ready to race to the top. I'm ready to do this. Show you what the truth is. I step on the field. It's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. So I hope everybody listened to the ad just there because in it, Kelly said that there was a new noon secret flavor or a secret product that 
it's been released. Tell us about that. Right. So I was waiting to tell everyone what my favorite flavor was until they officially released it. And now, you know, now I can tell you, you were anxiously waiting. I'm noon, waiting. Noon finally released last week. They're what they're calling Noon Endurance. Uh, it's like an updated version of their old uh, performance product. It's really good. And my favorite flavor is citrus mango. So, I mean, I've been uh, sampling my prototype for a few months, been doing all my workouts off of it. It is excellent, just so everyone knows. Great. And how does it help you? Like, what does it do for you, Kelly? Well, I mean, it's basically... So their drink mix is essentially a... It's a standard drink mix. Like, any, right, you put it in your water bottle. It's not the tablets the way the other noon tablets are. Uh, okay. Right. And so it's a lower calorie drink mix than, you know, your standard drink mix. Obviously, all of their regular stuff about osmolality. Oh, I cannot say that word. But so that you use your water better. Um, right. right. And all like the electrolytes and the sodium. I used to drink scratch, which is very similar. And it's kind of like that, but I like it better because it has like, so one of the things they updated in endurance is it has all the in- organic ingredients and all of that. They also have a caffeine version, strawberry lemonade, mm. which is quite good. And you so. know, I love my caffeine. So FYI, cool. everyone who's been curious, waiting. Well, if I was training, I would try it. You should. You can use the code IRONWOMEN. Oh, okay. To get 30% off. Nice one. Thank you. Okay, so in the newsletter, you were talking about uh, books and how there's some like kind of seminal works in running, like once a runner. Right, so I feel like in running, there are these like classics that everyone has read, whether or not they're good, right? You have Once a Runner, you have The Perfect Mile, you have Duel in the Sun. Duel in the Sun is actually a very, very good book. And all of those are about men. And you don't really have like this quintessential book about like women, at least not in that same way. Obviously, there are memoirs out there. There are training books out there. So the first question is, where are the women's inspirational running books? And then secondly, when you start to think about it, you're like, hell, where are any triathlon books besides Iron War? I can't think of a inspirationally triathlon story in a book. Can you? Right. So before people start, I can't. And before people start emailing us about Chrissy Wellington's book, Lisa Bentley's book, all of these books, what we mean is like a a good storyteller who's taken a story from the sport and told it well. Right. We're not talking about memoirs. Uh, someone did email me about Lisa Bentley's. And obviously I know about that because she was interviewed on the Iron Woman podcast. I'm not talking about memoirs. There are some good women's running memoirs out there too. I'm talking about reported nonfiction or fiction, things that read novel-esque. And there just aren't that many for women or about women. And I think, and here's one of my conclusions. Here's one of my theories about why, Sarah. Well, uh, partially, you know, women weren't allowed to do sports for a long time. That would be one. But second, my theory is that even when you get into like modern era, it feels weird to have a book about women running or biking or whatever that doesn't touch on eating disorders and sexual abuse and body image and like discriminate. But then that's not particularly inspired. Like that gets a little Hallmark movie and it starts to be like one of those movie of the weeks about the gymnast gymnastics teams that battled bulimia, which I I used to watch as a kid. And so it just isn't the same. It doesn't have the same inspiration. It just starts to feel very dark. So I think that's one of the things that people struggled with trying to write about like women athletes in a iconic way right right that's Mm -hmm. interesting i also think like your example of iron war afterwards mark allen and dave no mark allen and dave scott yeah yes that's matt fitzgerald right over that story because they felt it was inaccurate and part of me just thought that was kind of case in point around like triathlon maybe doesn't understand 
legend. <laughs> right. Like that's what a legend is. Like it's you're, if you're reading a really good story, it's probably going to be about 80% accurate or 75% accurate. It's not like we're not looking for like total historical truth on everything. Like we're looking for a really good story. And so clearly we weren't ready for that because we, we sued the guy that. who did it. <laughs> the really, my other theory about triathlon is obviously there is a type a in the weeds numbers crunchingness to triathlon that does not lend itself to, you know, Rocky soundtracks, right? Like the guy who's all about the numbers and science in Rocky is the bad guy. Like he's <laughs> the one like that we overcome with our American heart. So I just feel like triathlon just doesn't lend itself to that. Like, yeah, we're going to do it. Um, I even had, I was talking to like a publisher last year from one of the big endurance sports publishing houses. And we were talking about triathlon books and I even like kind of suggested this. And she basically said, you know, triathletes, like the numbers just aren't there. They want training books, how to be faster recipes, like that kind of thing, which I felt so sad about. Honestly. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, to that point, maybe she's just not thinking big enough because I think if a a triathlon, like the books that you mentioned before from running, like the miracle mile, it's it's perfect mile, the perfect mile. Oh, sorry. The miracle mile. That's a different thing. Um, The perfect mile. It's not just runners read it. Right. So it's bigger than running. And so we need to tell a triathlon story that's bigger than triathlon. That's not necessarily that what triathlons triathletes could read and love but that also um, anybody could read and love. But like, the story is about triathlon. That's what we need. Boys in the Boat, that big the book everyone read a, lot, a couple years ago about rowing. Mm. I mean, literally every time I've had to talk to a rower, you say something like, oh yeah, I read the book. And they're like, yeah, like everyone read that book. And it's like the only thing anyone knew about rowing for a while. It's a very good book, side point. You're looking at me blankly. You should read it. So we need that book that brings triathlon to the New York Times bestseller list. Exactly. Okay. okay. So are we going to do it, Kelly? Can oh yeah. You? I definitely should just, I feel like this is right up there in my business plan work schedule. I know. Definitely so, do this. We're both all about making money. Clearly. <laughs> so let's just put this on the list. <laughs> you know what else I was thinking this week though? And this is like semi-related. Okay. So you had, you had more thoughts than one. Okay. I have lots of thoughts right now. Sarah. <laughs> so, you know, how it's team camp time and everyone's mm-hmm. like off on their team camps and Getting ready for the season. Getting ready for the season, Instagramming about it. And so a lot of people, people I know and people I follow were at the Sunto team camp last week or two weeks ago. The Suntos replaced Team Timex as like one of the major teams in triathlon. And it looked like from what I was following on the Instagrams, their team camp included classes on content creation and, you know, like how to use social media and how to do interviews. And part of me is like, that's really smart. And part of me is like, that's sort of weird. And I haven't 100% decided which side I've landed on. Okay, here's what I think. I think it's smart from the point of view of the Sunto camp and good for the athletes, right? What's weird about it is what it says about this current moment in time in our culture. <laughs> that's the weird thing, right? So right. they're just capitalizing on a moment in time, like good for them, check, right? But like, what do we think about this moment in time? Like, is that, is that where we want sport to go? Well, I think yes, yes. In some ways, yes. Athletes are going straight to their fans now, right? There's all this stuff now about how athletes don't, and this isn't just athletes because athletes are under the brand of entertainers, right? So also like celebrities, actors, musicians, Mm. anybody don't need gatekeepers anymore. I mean, they still do to a degree. Like I actually don't believe that it's totally gone, but let's just accept that, that they can go straight to their fans now and tell their own story in their own words. And a lot of the biggest people do like think Beyonce, think like, Taylor Swift, right? They don't 
need to be interpreted. And there's entire outlets like the Players Tribune, which does only like first person, not only that's not accurate, but you know, first person essays from athletes. And it's, and it, that's huge. That's huge for democratizing entertainment and sport and getting yourself out there. On the other hand, I think it's super weird because you know, in our tiny little niche here in triathlon, everyone's like hashtagging their stuff on Instagram, you know, real talk. And people are like really getting to their fans, except that, you know, not really right. Like real talk, but like, I still look good. <laughs> like real talk, but we set it up to make sure that we looked really good. Right. And like the, the and the team camp with the content creation, I was just laughing because they all were posting like amazing looking pictures of the mountains and they're like, which I'm sure happened and was amazing. But also, you know, I've been to, t- I, we've been to training camp. There's a lot of, you know, laying on the floor, trying to eat as much as possible as a well. A lot of pain right? and suffering. Right. Yes. <laughs> this is the thing about social media and Instagram in particular that I, that I sometimes wonder about because sometimes I think, like, isn't it good to always put positive images, right? Sure. Because if you, if you put positive out there, you get positive back you make people feel positive about looking at it. It looks nice. <laughs> it lifts other people's moods. You're trying to inspire people. Like all of this can work together, right? So it can r- build people up, right? In general. But then you have the other side of it where some people are actually trying to like, look at me, look what I have. I'm better than you. Or some people actually feel bad because it doesn't f- they don't feel like it reflects how their life is is like and so it feels kind of like everyone else's life is better so I'm I'm actually like of two minds about that because I do think I don't really have a problem with quote-unquote like not being real on Instagram because I kind of feel like why should I not put like why can't I put happy moments of my life on Instagram sure sure that's fine that's true uh accurate there's but I mean, all this shit's been around long enough. There's multiple studies now. And like all the research suggests like Instagram's the worst for our mental and emotional health. There's all this stuff that suggests, yeah, even though I don't actually feel that way. Twitter makes me feel the worst, but whatever. But like when you actually measure like how people like how they feel and how they perceive the world, basically, essentially what it comes down to is even if you know, everyone else is presenting the best, only the good things and the best things about their life, what ends up happening is that we internalize that and we don't believe like you can know logically that they're only saying the good stuff, but in your head, you don't know the bad stuff. So you just think that everyone else's life is better than yours. You suck. You're the only one who has bad things because you know, your bad things and you don't know other people's bad things. Does that make sense? So even if you think like, even if you logically are like, Oh yeah, well of course, like I'm just going to post the happy stuff and like positive stuff. And that's fine. It still like fucks with you subconsciously. That's okay. what I'm saying. Okay, here's my question. I can't be the only person who feels like I'm an exception to that. Well, no, I'm sure lots of people do. Like I don't, I like 100% accept that people put only positive stuff and I think people have hard times and I know that everybody does. Um, yes, and I Sarah, don't, Sarah, that is yes. what subconscious means no, but <laughs> as a word. Okay. But if, it made me feel, if it was subconscious, I would still have some kind of outcome from like, it would still drag me down on some level, but it does not. Look, if everybody was super as fucking self-aware as they think they are, like psychology wouldn't exist and like therapists wouldn't be a profession. Okay. That's all I'm saying. There is like many, many studies and research out there. Fucking Google that. Yeah. That like the internet's fucking with our heads, especially younger people, obviously. obviously. Sure. The internet yeah. is fucking with our heads. Like I'm not going to deny that. I just yeah. don't have that. Maybe because I didn't grow up with the internet. Like I just don't. Sometimes I think, okay, here's something I tell people that now we're just, now we're in the weeds, but um, <laughs> I, tell, I tell sometimes my athletes, if they're feeling badly about something, literally I've noticed this, that 
the people that I coach, the more Instagram stories that, or not stories, the more Instagram posts they do about their training, that's probably uh. all the training that they're doing. Right? <laughs> Whereas like people who are actually training really hard are often too tired to post on Instagram. And they might just like that. once in a while have a picture of them doing a session or something. And it's probably a recovery session because they took enough time to stop and like take a photo. Oh but, yeah. But there are people, I've coached a handful of people who, when I, I know every session they've done because it's not that many, they're not following the program and they posted them all on Instagram because <laughs> they were so damn proud of themselves that they got the session done. Like, I mean, <laughs> I do because I, because Instagram is like where I do triathlon stuff. So I do post and you're right that, yeah, like Saturday when I was just destroyed and like, re- I wasn't posting shit because I was way, did not even occur to me to go and find my phone. Right. So that is true. But I, I don't know. I, I actually have no problem with Instagram. I scroll it and it's like mind numbing. I find it soothing, I find it like soothing that mostly because to me, it reminds me other people are also training as hard as I am training. And it like, it makes me feel normal and it's just pretty. And I'm like, Oh, it's pretty. No one's yelling at me. No one's calling me an idiot. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, it's true. So it's talk, Speaking of speaking, speaking of real of. talk and depression and concussions. Exactly. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. So one of the things more and more people have been talking about, like actually talking about in a real way that is important is like depression. Mm -hmm. Overall, like mental health, more and more people have more and more athletes have been talking about how they've struggled with mental health. Yeah, it's great. Particularly in light of the cyclist Kelly Catlin, who committed suicide a few weeks ago, there's a pretty... I don't want to say a good understanding, but an acknowledgement, it seems like her depression came after a very bad crash last year where she had a very bad concussion. So there were a number of athletes in the last week or so who have come forward talking about depression they had after very bad concussions. And it's very hard to say one cause the other, like that is the problem with, you know, these things, but it does, there's like a factor they all have in common. And and honestly, like to me, in a personal level, I had a really bad concussion last year, right? We all, like, I feel like we all know this, but you know, I like got really bad food no, poisoning. No, tell your story. I, honestly, I think you should tell your story because I don't uh, think everybody knows. Right. You're like, uh, real talk. When I wrote this on Instagram, I got a lot of people freaking out, but I had really bad food poisoning and I like woke up on the floor of a shower stall in Bermuda uh, because I got so like, I was throwing up so hard. I just like passed out and you wake up on the floor of a shower stall, like that's not good. Like blood, like coming out the of the back of my head. Is also, yes. Yeah. And so like, I had a really bad concussion. There was nothing I, people like you should do. There was nothing to do about it. Right. Like there's not a treat. Like I did all the things like I rested, I took time, but in retrospect, even after it was healed and I was like, fine, like I was not in a good place for many, many months. Like, and that's one of those things you can only know in like in retrospect mm. at the time yeah. you're like, this seems like I am logically being depressed about all these, like everything is terrible. And you know, you have all these reasons for why you feel bad, but it was like six months or something. I like snapped out of it. And then it was like, Oh yeah, I think that was all concussion related. Yeah. That's actually, that's really yeah. interesting. And I do yeah. notice a difference in you this year come by comparison to last year. And I had oh, last that together year, either the until first you said it. Hillary, my coach and it was only after like the first half of last year was bad. Like I think we yeah. all for me. I remember. Yeah. 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 Um, and so what's interesting to me is that this, the issue around concussions has been a hot topic in like hockey and in yes. American football for a number of years. And there's a lot of research happening, but yes. that the cyclist who committed suicide really brought it into our world and started the conversation here. But like you can, I mean, Malcolm Gladwell has a podcast about it. I don't like, I don't, <laughs> uh, I don't like Malcolm Gladwell very you know, much. I just like 
our example of okay. how of how much discussion there is around. <laughs> You're like, if even he's talking about it, it must be super if mainstream. Comes talking about it, it's a thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah. So there's a lot of and how interestingly concussion and recovery from concussion is different for men than women. It that is one. I mean, obviously that's true of many many things that we uh, are only now starting to learn <laughs> that women and men recover, but. And it has something to do with uh, the women's necks are smaller, the muscles neck. So we have like a higher whiplash effect. I mean, that's part of why concussions happen differently in us. I don't know if that's why we recover different, but that I thought that was an interesting. Mm, That is totally interesting. And so I I actually, I feel kind of hopeful about this because I think that only recently have we really started to take this seriously in doing the research. Mm -hmm. And I think that therefore we will within the next few years start to see some really good studies and some outcome. We'll know a lot more about concussion and, and for you who was sitting there going, well, there's nothing I can do about it, but rest, like what can I do differently that we might actually have some, um, some things that could, that could help you along or help get you out of that dark place. Um, Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, when my husband, uh, crashed at Ironman Wisconsin last year and to be clear, like he was, he was like fine enough. He finished riding his bike, but when he crashed, they did tell him, you know, you have a concussion and they gave him like the protocols and it was basically like, don't look at a phone. Don't talk, like talk. Don't look at TV. Like don't do anything. So that's pretty much all we have right now for concussions is don't do anything and rest. Right. So it's going to get better. That's what I say. <laughs> Mark my words. <laughs> Can't okay, get so worse. <laughs> coming up after the break, stay here because Kelly and I are going to talk about the, what's it? The sternum rule, the which sternum if you don't rule. know what that is, we will tell you. And the other stupid rules that we think we should get rid of in triathlon. We would like to thank Noon Hydration for supporting the podcast. Get 30% off your order by using the code IRONWOMEN at noonlife.com. That's IRONWOMEN at noonlife.com. And don't forget to order your feisty gear at livefeisty.com with the code RIDING to get a 20% discount. Follow at If We Were Riding on all the social medias and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, tell your actual friends in person how awesome we are because that works too. If We Were Riding is a Live Feisty Media production and is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our marvelous editor is Aaron Hamilton. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop. This time, like the last time. You better get ready to race in the top. I'm ready to do this. Show you what the truth is. I step on the field. It's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. Kelly, please explain the sternum rule. Okay, so what is st- it? Why did we get rid of it? So I mentioned this in the newsletter. A couple of people emailed me being like, we don't know what the sternum rule is. And the sternum rule is this thing that all pros, every pro meeting we end up arguing about because the rule was you were not allowed to have your uniform zipped below your sternum, like your, your kit, except obviously like some people race in sports bras, right? So that created this whole question of, so you were allowed to unzip all the way and pull it down if you were wearing something underneath essentially that covered your nipples and your sternum. But you, if you were wearing something underneath, like a sports bar, you could not unzip past your sternum and leave it on. This is why this constantly, constantly caused confusion. Even I'm confused by your explanation, to be honest. It's a great, okay, so, so just accept that that was the rule. Okay. <laughs> and Patrick Lang flaunted it. it wildly. I don't think he's ever complied with the sternum rule. But I got an email 
the, you know how an email goes out before your race with all the details for the pros and the email for Oceanside came in and here's what it says. It says 2019 rule updates and changes and running with a bare torso is still prohibited. You must wear a shirt, but here's the new rule. You ready? This will make so much more sense, Sarah. Uniforms with a front zipper may be unzipped to any length provided that one, the zipper be connected at the bottom of the uniform at all times. And two, the top of the uniform should cover the shoulders at all times. Disqualification, if not remedied promptly, uniform should be fully zipped when crossing the finish line. Are you super clear now? Yeah, now I'm clear. Yeah, that made sense. <laughs> that made sense. That actually made sense as a rule. <laughs> I do think this means, though, if you're wearing a sports bra, you can't pull off the top anymore. That's where I'm confused right. now. I think you're not allowed to do that. So, but this is very exciting for uh, anyone who's had to sit through a pro meeting, 20 minute debate about how, like, like if you're pulling off your uniform at one point when it's zipped below your sternum, but it's not fully off, does that count as a disqualification? We've had that debate in like every meeting. Kelly, if it's not this, it's something else. <laughs> let me tell you, because before that there was the stagger rule in Ironman where you had to stay like staggered and then staggered to the left or right of the cyclist in front of you. So yeah, to make, the that's part of the drafting rule. It still exists. In challenge, but not in Ironman. In all non-Ironman races. Because it's a USAT rule. Oh, USAT adopted it. That's right. And Ironman has an exemption. And then on top of it, the pro women were, were there was there was a year or two where the pro women were allowed to stay on the left mm-hmm. no matter what. So we could just like ride out to the left. So it was a way to help make a fair race for the pro women, but oh man, that was also confusing. Well, that's the other problem with the stagger rule is that it typically doesn't apply to the age groupers. So you're temp, but you have to stagger off anyone in front of you. So you're staggering off age group men who, and you're, but they're not staggering. And then they're yelling at you and you're like, fuck it, man. I don't even give a shit. Like I'm not getting DQ'd for you. So that's my other, that's the uh, another, like these are obscure rules that everyone hates. The other obscure rule I fucking, or I don't know if it's obscure, but I hate it. I think it's stupid is that the lead cyclist is behind the runner. I hate that rule. Oh, that's so stupid. I know. What kind of really, what, were they worried about the, the runner drafting of the cyclist? Yes. Apparently this was like athletes were worried that those athletes were getting an advantage, which I'm, oh, and it's, it, well, I think they might be getting a slight advantage, but it's they so get the much advantage of being them. fast, right? Like that's just, <laughs> it's how it fucking goes. Anyway, I hate that. And then, rule. Okay. Here's, okay. Here's my point. Here's my point. It, I, Iron Man and Messick, if you're listening. This is like that if you make a rule, like it doesn't matter what the rules are. If you make the rules, apply them across the board. That was what was frustrating about the sternum rule was there was people who flagrantly (laughs) didn't follow it. And it was, I mean, obviously we all think it's a stupid rule. We don't think they should be DQ'd, but then there'd be people who were DQ'd or, you know, had a, it was just, it was just kind of absurd. You were like, this doesn't make sense. uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen some absurd things in my time. Okay, the one time in, one time in a seventeen point three in Dubai, I think it was in Dubai. All of the pro men except one went the wrong way on the co- on the swim course. Right, made the swim really a lot shorter, like not a little bit shorter, but really a lot shorter. And so, by the rules, all of those guys should be disqualified. But they and the one yeah. guy who did it, yeah, who did the course right, should win the race. Right. But they weren't. And this is, I've seen this so this many happens times. happens a lot. Yeah. 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 This, like you guys, like anyone listening out there, this happens a lot in the pro race where yeah. it's like the rules apply like randomly depending on who you are. And it's not fair. I have this fear that uh, something's going to be perceived as outside assistance. Like even it, like 
You know what I mean? Like if my husband's like riding, oh, he was riding an electric scoo- scooter at a race I was at recently. If he's like riding by for like five minutes and cheers and then he stops so that he can't be perceived as pacing. Cause that's what, you know, cause I don't, you don't want someone to be pacing. I'm always like, oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble for like that five seconds. Cause he went by and I didn't. Oh, it drives me. So I don't, I, I'm always like, I'm always worried, Sarah, that these rules that I don't know if, I don't know why I might think this, but I, that I don't feel like I'm going to get the benefit of the doubt on these rules that are applied with uh, discretion. Just, yes. Yes. I, I feel like perhaps I am not, you know, Patrick Langa or Daniela and uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to have the full weight of the referee come down on me. Okay. I, I have a story for you. <laughs> okay. Story for you. Okay. This actually like, it, it's like. An outside chance. I mean, probably not, but there's an outside chance that this actually cost me an Ironman win. Okay. So I'm at Ironman Canada and the rule is, this is when it was in Penticton and you're not allowed to have, you can't have, there's no cars allowed on the run course. Right. No cars at all. Right. Except the sponsor car. Like the the sponsor, the race is sponsored by Subaru. Uh, Okay. So there was a Subaru that was allowed onto now, it just so happened that my competitor, who was running in front of me, I was running in second, she was running in first, was sponsored by Subaru. Uh, <laughs> okay. So said competitor's husband and coach were driving in the Subaru and jumping ahead and getting splits directly from me to her during the entire run. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't, I, I know that this is like a whole thing and whatever, but like splits, I'm kind of like... What like what? It's 2019, Sarah. Anyone can take splits. This isn't an advantage anymore. It's not a big Kelly, deal. I'm old. This was not 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody had the internet. This was like 2007. This was like some top quality. Like this was like I'm like waiting for someone to send a flare out to tell me where I am. <laughs> like <laughs> no, I I did feel that the advantage that that she had was great because she would have been getting, and it was a very close race. And so literally the coach and the husband would stand with a, Oh, this is how old it is with a stopwatch. Oh, nice. Nice. See, I I feel like I would run by story is not relevant anymore, Sarah. I just want to tell you. I just need to tell this story now. I'm just like venting now at the end of the podcast. I would run by, they like click the clock, get a time on me, get in the car. The only car allowed on the course drive forward and tell her how far. So when I was gaining on her, she knew like if someone's gaining on you, you, yeah, you don't yeah, know right yeah, away. Like yeah. you have to wait the 10 minutes until the person who's helping you on their bike bikes past you stop, does the whole thing. Right. But they were in a car and they just did this like dozens of times. So anyway, that's my, that's my little grudge about rules being applied. I really unfairly. feel like, I feel like you've really let this go and moved on. You know? I know it's, it's really, yeah. it's really free. Now I will. Now I've told mm. on the podcast, everybody, okay. I'm going to let it go. Okay. You people can tell me to stop my town, my crown. We know what it takes to be reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We know what it takes to be reaching the top.